Okay, well, good morning, Reality Carpinteria. For those of you uh, tuning in to this worship guide, uh, I miss you dearly. I'm longing for the day that you're able to come again and join us and we're able to all be together. Uh, I want you to know I've been praying for you, praying that God would bring us uh, together again safely soon. Uh, to, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be covering, I'm preaching this in an afternoon, so I get a little jumbled, but uh, we're going to be preaching through our next section in the Gospel of John. So please grab your Bible uh, and have it in front of you. I'll be preaching out of the ESV as usual, and we're going to be covering verse 40 through 52. The title of this morning's message is Division, Derision, and Decision. Now hear the word of God as it comes to us from John chapter 7, verse 40 and following. When they heard these words, now let's back up just a few verses to remind ourselves of what these words were. Where Jesus, on the last day of the feast, verse 37, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In our text, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone out to him before and was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your help right now to teach your word faithfully. I ask that you would uh, bless those who are turning in, that you would uh, give them receptive hearts to be able to hear your word. More than anything, Christ, we want to come to you and be those true recipients of the living water you have to offer. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Running... From Montana down to New Mexico is a great range of mountains known as the Rockies. And these Rocky Mountains, they constitute a high point or a ridge that actually divides our country in two. This is known as the Continental Divide in America. Now I want you to imagine a hiker summiting that ridge. 
Imagine them somewhere like Mount Elbert, which is Colorado's highest mountain and highest point. If the hiker was walking north, heading north, he would see this thing walking on that ridge that every bit of rain and all the melting snow that was on his left would flow out to the west into the Pacific Ocean. And all of the rain and all of the snow that would come on his right would go to the east and eventually end up in the Atlantic. You see, the Connell's Divide is what divides America in two. All water either goes west to the Pacific or east to Atlantic. And many pastors and theologians before have come to this text, our text this morning, and have recognized that, quote, what the continental divide is to America, Christ is to humanity. That is simply because of who he is and the magnitude of his person, Christ divides humanity. That's what we find in our text today. You already heard it, that a division arose among the people over him. And I want us to be reminded what the statement was that divided him. What was so divisive that Christ said? Because of course we hate division in our world. We want unity. And yet Christ said that he would divide So what was this message that divided them? Well, verse 37 tells us that Christ stood up on the last day of the feast and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These aren't the words we would think would divide humanity in two. Those who are with Christ and those who are against Christ. His words are the free, gracious, exclusive call to come and drink from the one thing that'll satisfy And as we come to our text in John, I want to bring before us once again what the purpose of John is. That John tells us in his gospel, he writes later on near the end that these things written in this book were written that we might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So at the outset, I want to help us wake up to our needs. I want to ask the question, are you thirsty this morning? Maybe as I say that, it actually triggers something psychosomatically that you actually want to drink a water right now, but we're talking about a deeper thirst. And I think you know what I'm talking about. The kind of thirst that leaves you longing for more in life. I want you to know you will only find that kind of life and satisfaction in Jesus. But it's truly there for us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to walk through the text under three headings. 
we're going to first see division over Jesus. The next thing we'll see is derision from the authorities of the time. And we'll end by talking about the decision that we all must make. First, division over Christ, verses 40 through 43. When they heard these words, some people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. These words, notice the words of Jesus, what he said, that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. They elicited different responses. As verse 43 states, these different responses actually caused what in the Greek is a schisma. And you know what that word is translated into, a schism or a division among the people over him, over his person. And there were three primary answers. The first group of people, they said, he is the prophet. And I want you to notice there the word the in the capital P. This is talking not just about another prophet that God has risen up, but actually a prophet who was prophesied of in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said to the people, there's going to come a prophet like me, but greater than me. And I want you to listen to him because he speaks from God. He is the great prophet. Listen to him and the sign of this true prophet. How would they know? Well, it was that everything this true prophet says. The test of the true prophet is that everything the prophet says will come true. Not one of his words would fall to the ground because he truly spoke for God. And you can hear the anticipation in the people in the text of John. It it really is the prophet. This is who Jesus is. And these people, they may not have everything right, but they're on the right track. Then the second people, they uh, respond. Others say, no, this is the Christ. This is the Christ. And from our perspective, having 2000 years of Christian history, we say, well, bingo, the Messiah, these people get it. Now, these people probably got it maybe even a little more than the people who said the prophet. They're, they're also even more so on the right track, but there was a little bit of a confusion, it seems, during the time between the prophet and the Christ. We see that come up even uh, if you remember when people went to John the Baptist in chapter one, they said, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? And they distinguish between all these things. And John the Baptist said, no, I am not, but I've come to prepare the way of the Christ, of the prophet. What we know now from our vantage point is that this great prophet, the prophet and the Christ are not two different people, but they are one and the same that the one who none of his words will fall to the ground without coming true. He is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, who will rescue 
Israel and save for himself a people from their sins. So look, these people at this point in time, it's understandable to believe that they don't get everything yet, but they're on the right track. And we should ask ourselves, why? Why are these people on the right track? Well, for two clear reasons. One, they're looking to Jesus. Their eyes are on him. Not just what does this person think and what does that person think, but they're looking to Jesus. And along with that, they're actually listening to his words. After they heard these words, the people said, this is who Jesus is. They're evaluating not just by the signs as some people did, uh, and not just by their expectations of what a Messiah would do, but they're looking at him intently and they're listening to his words and evaluating him. We know the truth that Romans expresses in chapter 10, that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. These people are doing the right thing. And if you're thirsty, if you're longing for something more, do you want to know how to get on the right track? The best initial advice I can give you is look at Jesus and listen to his words. And don't just look at what some other people say about him, but look at what he has said and what his disciples have said and written about him. Look at him for yourself. But not everyone was positive about Jesus. Still today, not everyone is positive about him. There was a third group of people and they said this, isn't he from Galilee? Look at it with me in verse, the second half of verse 41. Some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, where the village, the village where David was? Now, John, something you need to understand about John is he is so much more brilliant than we think he is initially. And John is a master of irony. Okay. One thing John loves to do is to state objections and not really comment on them, but just by stating the objection, proving his point. Okay. So John is widely attested to be the last gospel written. So there's a recorded account as well as oral tradition spreading like wildfire about this guy who rose from the dead, whose name is Jesus. And people, if they hear he rose from the dead, what are they going to want to know? Well, where did he come from? Where was he born? And so people at the time, they're going to know the birth narrative. And so as soon as they read these words, they're going to know, well, wait a minute. These people are saying Jesus can't be the Christ because he's from Galilee. Well, I read the gospel of Matthew and Matthew there tells us that he was born in Bethlehem. And Matthew has a huge genealogy that the entire point of it is that he's from the line of David. So the, these people, they're making all these assumptions and saying, oh, come on, Galilee, like you really think the Messiah is going to be from those boondocks? But they don't investigate who Jesus really is or where he really came from. These people start exemplifying pride, pride that we're going to see throughout the rest of the text. 
This reminds me of uh, my own pride uh, visiting family that I have that lived back east when I was in high school. So I had some family and they're from like back east. And I mean, like kind of well-to-do back east, if you know what I mean. And I, I grew up in LA County, um, had, a, had a great upbringing, but I wasn't really uh, born with just a silver spoon in my mouth, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, definitely always had enough in life and was very well provided for. But these people were kind of at a different level of living. And we went to eat together at a place where it was the first place I ever went, where I think I went, uh, where they had a prefix menu. And uh, during this, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I'm feeling kind of out of my place, but I want to appear as if I belong here, right? And so what does that mean? That means my pride sets in. That means I don't want to appear that I don't know anything or that I uh, there's something that I could possibly learn. So we're talking in small talk and uh, talking with uh, distant relatives and we're, what do you talk about? Well, you talk about the weather. And so how are you enjoying your time out here? And I said, oh, well, it's very beautiful. I love visiting New York and Connecticut is beautiful as well. I mean, you know, despite kind of the humidity um, and those words come out of my mouth and uh, come to find out later that it's been the greatest weather they've probably had in the last five summers, that it's not even humid at all. It's like in the 80s with pretty low humidity. I put my foot in my mouth, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, no, when I'm going to order from the prefix menu, uh, I have to pick the starter, the appetizer. And so I see duck on there. I see duck and I think to myself, well, I, I'd, I'd love to try duck. I probably had it someplace sometime. And I tell the waiter, I'll have the duck. Um, to which my relatives said, oh, are, are you sure you like duck pate? Um, to which I thought to myself, well, yeah, I like burger patty, so I'm sure duck won't be too bad. And not knowing at all that pate is not a patty of duck meat, but rather uh, duck liver among other things, I got the dish and I just had to shovel it down uh, but it was my pride that just kept getting me stuck. And what we're going to see is these people who say they know the scripture so well, and they know what the law says, and they already have it all figured out. These religious leaders, in the same way my pride just got me stuck, their pride is going to show them to be truly foolish. These religious leaders, they're proud. They think they already know all there is to know about Christ. They say, he's from Galilee, the boondocks. The scripture says he'll be from the line of David, from Bethlehem, where David was. And the subtext that John has in this is, this is kind of (laughs) awkward. He actually was from Bethlehem. He was from the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem. Then the religious leaders, they didn't even care to investigate him. As we talk about the division among the people and who they say Christ is, I want to ask you, who do you say Christ is? And I want to ask you why. Is he a great prophet unlike any other? Is he truly the Christ? Or do you have 
doubts about him. Well, we'll investigate those. We'll talk some more about that. But I also want to ask this, practically speaking, for those of you who say, I know Jesus is the Christ, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man. He is the one, the second person, the Trinity, who saved me from my sins. He did all these things. I want to ask you, okay, practically, have you been living as if Jesus truly is that? Has that been the controlling reality of your life, that Jesus is Lord? Has your life been marked by the kind of peace and assurance that should come from that? Because I want to tell you, I've had to repent as I've realized I've let the reality, the controlling sway over my heart be more about news headlines and doom and gloom, and constantly changing goalposts of what we hear the future will be like and how we'll know if things are going to be okay. Who do we believe Christ is? But practically, what's controlling the sway of our hearts and what we believe about him? Some of you, you need to come to Christ for the first time and and some of us, we need to recognize that we haven't let the professed truth of our mouth control and overwhelm the beliefs of our heart. And within this, something to bolster us in this is we need what it says in verse 44. A throwaway verse it would seem, but it's nothing like that. It says in verse 44, some of them wanted to arrest him but no one laid hands on him. And oh, church, I was so thankful listening to the word of God being preached last week and as Bo got uh, to the section of his text where uh, the officers sought to arrest him, but they couldn't because Jesus' time had not yet come. And as he explained that to me, man, my heart was ministered to. The truth that God is sovereign over our lives. The truth that no death will take us before our time. The truth that we are to live uh, cautiously and with great wisdom and in the fear of the Lord, but not in the fear of man and the fear of circumstances and the fear of sickness and the fear of death. Oh, that was a fresh breath of air again to hear that. It ministered to my soul. And what I've come to see is this is a theme shot through John, shot through the whole entire Bible. Once again, we see here, some people want to arrest him, but no one lays hands on him. Why was that? Well, we'll see some of their own reasoning in a moment. But in the grandest scheme, because the hour of the Lord Jesus had not yet come, because God's purposes demanded, which guaranteed that Jesus would not be taken at that point. And so church, I just want to remind you, God is God and Jesus is Lord and he is good and he is in control and he is sovereign over all things. And we're not always going to understand and be able to explain in the most minute detail in this life why things happen, but we can trust him. Charles Spurgeon said, when I can't trace his hand, I know that I can trust his heart and what he's doing. Psalm 57 verse two says, I cry out to God most high who fulfills his purposes for me. Man, this for me, it's 
It's almost like drinking streams of living water, remembering who God is and who the Son of God is. And so we've seen this division over Christ. And now John, he drills down as we see the derision that comes from the authorities over Christ. Derision, uh, that's a word, the verb is to deride. Derision is contemptuous ridicule or mockery. And that's what we see. Read with me in verses 45 through 49. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So verse 45 and 46, the soldiers, they're sent out. Now remember the chief priests and the Pharisees, they sent soldiers to go arrest him. And now the officers come back without Jesus. They were sent to apprehend Jesus and they returned without him. So you come back to boss without doing what boss told you to do. What gives? And I want you to notice their answer. And I want us to notice first what they don't say. They don't say that, you know, we were going to arrest him, but we were afraid what the crowds would do, which would be explainable, understandable. They don't even say, here's this random excuse. You know, we got kind of tied up and caught up. We didn't really, we don't have wristwatches. We don't know what time it is. No, that's not what they say. Instead, listen to their words. Instead, they say, wonder has captured us. They say to the chief priests and the Pharisees, no one ever spoke like this man. As R. Kent Hughes beautifully puts it, they went to arrest Jesus, but Jesus arrested them. Have you ever been arrested by the words of Jesus? Caught up in them. Transfixed upon them. I want to tell you, until you have this, being arrested by who Jesus is and how he speaks and what he's done, for sinners like us. All of spiritual life will be like a dry desert. It'll be like a chore. It'll be like white knuckling it for the rest of your life. You'll be more consumed with how others don't get it or are so naive then you will be just transfixed and captivated by the wonder and the love of Christ. It's the question, how can you be arrested? Is the question. 
Well, the best thing I can tell you is just encounter him through prayer and through the word of God. Like, I I just want to tell you of the times that I realize who Jesus truly is. Like when he forgives a sinful woman and he tells her in Luke 7, you should read the story on your own later today, but he he tells her, uh, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. That Christ's grace is abundant. When I heard the words of Ephesians 1, that before the foundations of the world, God chose me in Christ and in love predestined me for adoption as his son. I remember the wonder. God would love me like that? That he would choose me? I remember the words of Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loved me in a particular way in the past by giving his life for me on that cross. He loved me and gave himself for me. The words of Christ have forever changed my life. They change the things I love. They change the things I desire. Have you been arrested by the love of Christ as these guards had been arrested? Yet not all are. In verses 47, 49, we see that some are arrested by the words of Jesus, but others have pride that utterly blinds them. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They say in response, in contempt, are you too deceived? And we should ask ourselves, Deceived about what? The soldiers being deceived about needing salvation? About Jesus' words that people are dying of thirst, but that he'll freely give water that'll satisfy and that will save? But they say, are you deceived? They say, none of the authorities have believed. Have any of them? Here we should remember the words in 1 Corinthians that not many who have been saved were wise when they were called. That God has chosen the foolish things of the world to actually shame the wise, to show his power. A humbling thing for us all, Christian. If we're Christians, um, it's probably not owing to the fact that we were just smarter and wiser and of a better class than everyone else but that God just desired to show how powerful he is by using the weak and the foolish things of this world. You see here, it's a a raw appeal to authority for the sake of authority. Have the other Pharisees believed? Have the chief priests believed? Have any of these authorities believed? It's almost, you can hear it in the air. Oh, if you people weren't so uneducated. 
if you weren't so backwoods. And what's underneath it really is the statement, we, the religious leaders, the authorities in society, we're good. We're not thirsty. They say, we know the law. Verse 49, once again, this crowd, they don't, this crowd that does not know the law, they're accursed. This people, that phrase right there, it speaks of the people of the land. The people who dwell in this land, they're accursed. They don't really know the law. Now it's interesting because the people, I wonder how many of us know Deuteronomy 18 is the prophet that the Christ is promised and that there's going to be a prophet that comes before him in the spirit of Elijah. How many of us know those things and can quote from the book of Malachi and can quote from the book of Deuteronomy just off the top of our heads? These people aren't just stupid. They're not dumb. But no, they're speaking of, they don't know the law, which speaks to all 613 commands of the law and then rabbinical writings on top of that and what different famous rabbis have said about it. They don't know the law. And you know, the law says, the one who does not know the law is accursed. In their pride, they say, we know the law. And this people, they're accursed. And we see this pride still today. And we see it most largely in the authorities, the well-to-do in life, those who are seen as the upper class, thinking that they know, they understand, others don't and are foolish. I've seen in the last month a governor say, we don't need help from God in coronavirus. We don't need God. We're good. We don't need help from above. I've heard a news anchor say, we all know that Jesus, he walked this earth, but I mean, he wasn't without sin. And church, this is the danger of pride. Yes, we do need God. Yes, Jesus was without sin. And yes, you actually are dying of thirst. And apart from Christ, will never find that which can save and satisfy you. Christian, Jesus promised persecution. When he came, it brought division and derision. And so we should learn from this. One thing we should certainly take from it is not to look down on the lowly of society. Think, oh, those people, they haven't been to college. Oh, those people, they don't have this kind of job. Oh, those people, you know, they shouldn't be in our church. No, everyone should be in our church. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone is dying of thirst. And we know the one who is eager to satisfy. Let us not look down on anyone else. And we should also take the point to be really careful of who we let shape our thought life and our worldview. 
There's those who the world proclaims to be wise and are the most utter fools to be pitied because they reject the truth of God and his word. Let us be careful and let us be shaped by God and what he has said. We've seen division. We know there will be derision. Now, what is our decision with these things? Verse 50 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now remember Nicodemus is the man we saw in John chapter 3 who comes back into the story at this point. He's the man who had the discussion with Jesus who went to him in the middle of the night to say, I know you're not just a normal person. Explain to me. No one can do the things you do unless they were from God. And Jesus tells him in some You need to be born again. You need a new heart. Only the Spirit of God can give it to you. You can't trust in your religious performance. You can't trust in your own goodness. You must be born again. And so Nicodemus, he comes back into our story and it's not the last time we're gonna see Nicodemus. God is going to work in his life. God is going to save Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus. For any of those of us praying for God to save people, praying for God to bring people who have apparently turned their backs on him, God is not necessarily done with those people. Continue to pray, continue to pursue them. But for our purpose this morning, he points out this principle of justice from their law. He says, we're talking so much about the law. Well, here's a point. Uh, Shouldn't we hear someone before judging them? Shouldn't we learn what they have to say from the source? He's saying we need to be impartial in these things. We need to listen to him. We need to ask him what he does. But verse 52, the irony doesn't stop. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So in their disgust, they've said, no Pharisee has believed in him. And Nicodemus, one of them says, well, shouldn't we actually listen to him and hear him out? And in their disgust, they say, are you from there too? Or did you grow up in the backwoods? What's with you, Nicodemus? You need to go Go and search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And they must have said this in their anger, or maybe they really were this ignorant, but there actually are at least two prophets that come from Galilee, Jonah and Nahum. What we see is the religious leaders are proud and without knowledge. But Nicodemus, his presence in the story his hearing the gospel, his imploring that we ask and hear from Jesus, that we learn from the source before judging, brings up the truth that we all must make a decision. And so I must ask you, 
Are you thirsty? And because God's word tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I humbly, only on the authority of God's word, tell you we're all thirsty and in need of what only Jesus can give. The thirst, it's that existential ache for more in life. And we seek it in all kinds of wrong places of our own name, of having more money, of being loved by someone, of having a good enough relationship, of having enough prestige, of putting it in political saviors, of getting enough pleasure, whatever it may be, however we have to get it. We all look in our seeking after filling and quenching our own thirst. We can't help it. We do what we long for and what we love. But now, will you decide to come to the one who can quench your thirst? Who do you believe Christ is? And what are you basing that on? The Bible is God's word to us. And salvation is trusting that Christ, he died for your sins and he rose for your justification. And sanctification, which is just a fancy word that means what's happening in those who have been saved, how they're becoming more like Christ, how they're growing in becoming more like him in holiness. Sanctification is continuing to drink from that well. And having our minds renewed and deepened in the truth that Christ came to give himself to the thirsty, to be poured out as a drink offering for us who weren't just thirsty in the sense we just needed a little bit of bread and water, but proud sinners who said, I know all that I need to know. And proud sinners who sought satisfaction in cesspools of sin. Isn't that where you sought to quench your own thirst? I know it was for me. In lust, in pride, being better than others, smarter, quicker more successful. What a wicked thing to seek to fulfill ourselves in those things. But Christ, he loved you and he gave himself for you. So unsaved sinner, turn your life over to Christ. Come and drink of this water. It will satisfy. It will satisfy. It will not disappoint. Christian, drink again.
And let us all worship the fount of life. Lord Jesus, you are a well that does not run dry. You are light of light, beauty of beauty, Lord of lords, King of kings. We come to you, Christ's name, amen.